0: Hello, everyone. I'm Joel Van Hoogen, and this is the Bread of Life. This program is brought to you by Church Partnership Evangelism. To learn more about our reach around the world, go to cpeonline.org. To learn about our Mission Fellowship in Boise, go to breadoflifeboise.org. We've been considering Elijah's confrontation with Israel on Mount Carmel from 1 Kings chapter 18. They have turned themselves over to idolatry, and God would have them turn back to him. A test is established by God to help them decide to where and to whom they will go. The first test is to see who will answer prayer. Will their idols answer prayer or the personal God of Israel? The next test will be which God can atone for and remove their sins. And there it is, folks. Deep in the heart of all people, there is a yearning to be heard, to have prayer answered. But the deepest prayer is to have our sins removed. Can your idols or the things you have substituted for God do any of that for you? If not, then consider turning back all the way to the God who made you. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Here God has pledged to hear and answer the children of faith who have believed in Jesus Christ as saving your Lord. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession... For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. And by the way, that's why you go in prayer. You got weaknesses. You got issues that you need resolved that you don't have the power to resolve yourself. He sympathizes with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. He'll hear you. Because of Jesus, and in your weakness you go to Him, and because He's your great high priest, you will find help in time of need. And we who have trusted in Jesus Christ and believed in Him have claimed this one as our great high priest. The Christian is promised bold access to God through Jesus Christ. We we don't need to shout. We don't need to scream. We don't need to act in unusual ways. We don't have to get ourselves in gesticulated positions to get Him to receive us. And hear us. He's never detained on other business. He's never ever found distracted by other matters. Nothing we bring to him is too unimportant for him. He's always there and always ready to hear the prayer of faith through our Savior Jesus Christ. You know, actually the Bible teaches that God has not obligated himself to answer the prayers of the unrighteous. In fact, God has actually said the unrighteous should expect that he will not hear them. And he will not answer them. It's the one who's been made righteous through Jesus Christ who has this expectation. But God is always near to hear prayer. And he's always near to hear the prayer offered to him. And God does at times answer the honest cry of unsaved and unbelieving individuals when they're expressing their deep desire for mercy and when they're groping for a goodness that only God can give. Because the goodness of God leads people to repentance. It leads people to turn to him. I'll give you an example of this. I was in Cambodia years ago. It was actually the first time that I ever traveled to Cambodia. I was speaking to a woman who was at that time the head of Far East Broadcasting Company, which is the major Christian broadcasting company, taking the gospel into Asia. She was sharing me her testimony of how she came to Christ. And her testimony began with her during the time of the killing fields. And during the time of the killing fields, The people were forced into forced labor throughout all of Cambodia, and she was in one of these forced labor camps. And if you did something to upset those individuals who were directing and overseeing those camps, they could come down on you rather hard, and apparently she had done something that had upset them quite profoundly, and she was sentenced to be sent away to a prison. She was put on a cart, and she was being wheeled away to the cart, and she knew that there were two prisons that she could go to, and they didn't say which one she was going to. And that the first turnoff to the prison was a prison in which people would go and they would suffer, but then at some point in time they'd be released. But if she didn't turn off to that first one, the second prison they'd go to, nobody had returned from. They'd all died and all been destroyed. And by the way, I had an opportunity to see one of those prisons where they kept these individuals. And you might know of our man, Ernest Ung, who is our director for our ministry in Cambodia. And... He had one sister who survived the killing fields and when she had returned to Phnom Penh after the fall of communism, because she spoke French and Khmer and Vietnamese, she was taken by the Vietnamese who at that time had overthrown the Cambodian and they brought her into one of these prisons where everyone had died and the bodies, the dead bodies of all the people who had died were still just stacked up within this prison and she was forced to be the individual interpreting and declaring everything that she saw to all the people of Cambodia. And it's the Tonsalan prison, and you go back to Cambodia now, it is the museum representing all of the tragedy of what took place during the killing fields. And she was the one who was the spokesman for that initially, and I had an opportunity to tour that place with her and with Ernest, as she told us the story firsthand of what she'd experienced. Terrible and awful. Well, this woman is being led off to a prison just like that. She doesn't know if she's going to go on the first road if she turns off the first road a little hope second road no hope whatsoever the cart comes by the first road and it doesn't turn keeps going straight now all of a sudden she starts to pray she starts praying through every spirit she can think of, the spirit of her ancestors, the spirit in the trees, the spirit in the sun, the spirit in the, in the grass, or whatever it is, whatever spirit she can conjure up, but then all of a sudden she realizes these are not enough. Our people prayed for these for ages and look what we're going through. Finally she says, oh spirit who made all spirit, spirit who created all things, I don't know your name, I don't know who you are, but if you rescue me and save me, I'll serve you forever. Here she is before me, the director of the Far East Broadcasting Company, this Christian station that broadcasts the gospel throughout Southeast Asia. God did rescue her. God did preserve her. The day did come when she learned the name of that God and learned of the salvation that he had provided through his son, and God had answered her prayers. Elijah says, you pray, I'll pray. You go ahead and pray your prayers I'll pray my prayers. I want to leave you there for just a moment. The fact is, because we know that God has not promised to hear the prayers of the unrighteous, but God has promised to hear our prayers, how should we respond to this test ourselves? We should pray for others. We should pray for their salvation. We should pray that God would reveal himself and make himself known. We should pray that his goodness be showered out upon them. We pray that God encountered them and God revealed himself to them. That God's own goodness would lead them to repentance. We should. We should. Pray for them. It's our promise. God answers us. And so we pray. Here's the second element. It's the element of sacrifice. Here too you'll find that people all over the world in modern settings and primitive settings alike are making sacrifices to their gods. They'll give their lives, their dreams, their children, their futures, and all their energies to the God that they serve. And it's happening, it's happening in our day and age all the time. People serving and turning away from all the other things that they have in their life and laying it down at the feet of some promise and some desire and some God. And What people are expressing in all this is, a deep-seated need, sense of need, and a deep desire to atone for their sins. A deep sense that they need somehow to have the sin inside of them covered. Deep inside individuals, they know that they're sinners. And that there's a payment required for the sins that they've committed. And they are expressing in all the energies and all the activities of their service and the sacrifices that they bring before the various gods. They are expressing in the sacrifices of their time and effort and money and even the misery they go through that they know deep down their sin has to be accounted for. It has to be paid for. It has to be covered in this way. The bowl that is brought was an offering for sin. This bowl that has been set aside that's being offered up that Elijah offers up is an offering that's a payment required for sins committed We know, by the way, that there has to be a payment somehow for the sins that we commit. We know it. We know it instinctively. Whether you're a Christian or not, people know it. That's why there are so many florists in our community, right? (laughs) Somebody knows he's got to make a little offering for the sins they commit. Here, honey, here are some flowers for you. Sorry, dear. Actually, this knowledge that sustains so many charities... And if you're guilty about something, just make sure you get a dollar in that pot at Christmas time when you come out of the grocery store. Oh, you'll feel better and pay it off a little bit more. And We know. We know that somehow we have to atone for these sins. It's, it's why there's so much political activism in our day. It's, it's an expression that people know they're not right. And they're trying to find some grand notion and grand thing they can give themselves to put their lives right. And so they atone for themselves by saving the planet or... Just recently, by the way, and I don't usually name out political figures, but Mayor Bloomberg is now running for president, and we now have discovered why it was that he banished the big gulp from New York City. You know, why did he get rid of sugary drinks in New York City? You can drink them, but you got to drink them in little shot glasses now. You can't drink them in a big, huge 32-ounce cup. Well, Bloomberg, about a month ago, said that he's relatively certain that if there is a heaven, God will let him into heaven because of the work he's done to bring people to have healthy diets. What we know now is that he was seeking to atone for himself. He's trying to find something that he can do to polish up his life and make up for whatever has gone on in his life and whatever shortcuts he took to make his billions. Either way, people know, people know, they feel this need, somewhere their sin has to be paid for, and Israel knows it as well, either they've got to pay for their sins with this drought that's been facing them, or this drought might bring them all the way into the unending fires of hell, so they have to offer a sacrifice made in their place to be accepted by a God who can remove that sin from them and bring blessing back into their life, and Now here's the problem with atoning sacrifices. Here's the problem with these sacrifices that people bring. You can bring them to the wrong God. You can bring them to a God who has no standing to determine whether or not your sins have been covered and forgiven. This is actually somewhat of the the scandal that the Pharisees felt about the Lord Jesus. You'll remember that there was a, a lame man that was lowered down into a home where Jesus was meeting in. And as the man was being lowered down through a ceiling, as the ceiling tiles and roof tiles were being pulled back, the Lord Jesus looked at the man as he's being lowered down, and the Lord Jesus said, your sins are forgiven you. The Pharisees were scandalized by this statement. but there's no one who can forgive sins but God alone. And they were right. There's only one who can forgive sins, and it's God alone. What they didn't know was that this was God in the flesh before them. Jesus said, so that you may know that the Son of Man has power to forgive sins, I say to you, take up your bed, rise, take up your bed, and go home. But it's a waste of time going to the wrong God for atonement and forgiveness. Baal cannot atone for your sins. You have not sinned against him. You can't forgive your own sins, by the way. You have people saying that, you know, I'm just trying to find a way to forgive myself. You can't forgive your own sins because primarily you have not sinned against yourself. You've sinned against God, the God who made you. He's the only God who can forgive you. By the way, I've got a little aside here that I wrote here. The person who says that they found God's forgiveness but are having a hard time forgiving themselves demonstrate how upside down the world is. They still stand in the idolater's position, putting themselves before God. The cost of God's forgiveness for us is the death of His Son in our place. The cost of our forgiving ourselves is the death of our sinful pride. To claim God's forgiveness but not to forgive yourself is to value your pride over Christ's blood. Well, thank you for listening to the ministry of the Bread of Life. To learn more about our ministry, let me suggest you go to one of two websites. Go to traincpe.org to learn more about the work we're doing all over the world to equip and engage the body of Christ in personal evangelism, discipleship, and church planting. Or to learn about our work in your community, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time. God bless you.